Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and this is the first in a series I'm doing on campus ministries. Over the next six months or so, I'll be interviewing a leader from each of the major campus ministries, asking them the same questions so that you can have an apples-to-apples comparison of their different ministries' missions, emphases, distinctives, approaches, and culture. I'm beginning this series by interviewing a leader with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. His name is Greg Howell, and he serves as the Executive Vice President of Communications and Mobilization. Greg has over two decades of experience with InterVarsity, and he's a former colleague of mine who I count as a dear friend. So, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, One of the aims of this podcast is to help students and their parents have the information they need to flourish during their college years. And as many of my previous guests have emphasized, it's uh, very important for students to get involved in a campus ministry uh, when when they're in college. But there are so many. So I'm doing a series on campus ministries, and uh, InterVarsity gets to be first. Great. So let me start with, how did InterVarsity get started? Sure. InterVarsity is the direct descendant of a campus ministry that began at Cambridge University uh, in the United Kingdom. And in 1918, I believe, students at a reasonably small but evangelical Christian group called the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union were asked if they wanted to merge with a much larger but theologically more liberal group. And the liberal group said, we want you to help us be evangelistic and to be passionate about worship. We love that about you. And you would actually be respectable on campus if you joined with us because nobody respects you, Um, not least because their nickname was Kick You, which was related to the Cambridge Intercollegiate Christian Union. And they had a meeting um, with the leaders of the student Christian movement. And they talked back and forth for about an hour. Students were praying in another room. And finally, the leaders of Kick You said, do you put the atoning blood of Jesus as central in what you do? And the student leaders of the student Christian Union movement said, well, you know, it, it's important. I don't know that we put it at the center. And the leaders of Kick You stood up and said, you know, if we can't agree on that, then we don't have enough in common for merger. And so they went back to their kick you group and said, the merger's off. We need to create a vibrant witness for Jesus here at Cambridge University. And as they began to reflect on that, they thought, well, you know, other universities probably need this too. So they reached out to Oxford, which had the Oxford Intercollegiate Christian Union. They talked to London and they said, how about we meet together in inter-university or in the UK, what they would say is inter-varsity conference to talk about how to create a witness on campus that would invite students and faculty to follow Jesus. And so InterVarsity USA is the direct descendant of that ministry because 10 years later, they sent somebody to Canada. Canada sent somebody down to the United States. And um, in about 1939, American colleges were asking the question, or college students were asking the question, how do I learn to follow Jesus on campus? And InterVarsity started at that point. So that's our origin story. And I think what I hope you hear about it is um, a deep commitment to Jesus as central in our faith, students taking the initiative to ask the hard questions, to make the decisions, to send people on mission, and a deep belief that as you gather people from um, multiple universities together, that um, God can do something with that, not only in your own country, but around the world. That's fascinating. And I think you've answered the second question I wanted to ask, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. What is InterVarsity's mission and purpose? 
Yeah, the way we would define our mission and purpose would be this way, in response to God's love, grace, and truth. Because we believe before we talk about what InterVarsity does, we start with who God is and what he's doing. In response to God's love, grace, and truth, the purpose of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship USA is to establish and advance, to plant and to build witnessing communities of students and faculty who follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. Um, And then we've defined kind of these four values related to that. We call them the four loves. We want them to grow in love for God. We want them to grow in love for God's word, God's people of every ethnicity and culture, and God's purposes in the world, Hmm. both um, in missions and in the vocational work that the vast majority of our graduates will go to. That's how we would define our purpose is based on the fact that God is already at work on campus. We're pulling together these communities, and if they grow in love for God, God's word, God's people of every ethnicity and culture, and understand their place in God's purposes, we're going to feel like it was a good year. So incarnate that for us. How, how does that play out? What does that look like on a given campus? Yeah, you know, I was just reflecting on this the other day, and I would say the fundamental unit of InterVarsity's ministry on campus would be a small group Bible study. Hmm. You know, a lot of the other campus ministries would say it's their weekly meeting, but I think if you dig deep into our DNA, we would say the most important thing we think we can do is to gather students around the word of God and teach them to study the scriptures for themselves so that they become lifelong students of the scripture and that they're doing it in a community of people who will both challenge them and encourage them, hold them accountable and require their help. And so the, our fundamental unit, wherever you find intervarsity around the United States, what you will always find is a, at least some small groups of people meeting not around a book study or, you know, a video of a popular pastor, but I want them to dig into the scriptures and a very common Bible study that you'll often find is we often use the uh, book of Mark because the gospel of Mark is a vivid picture of who Jesus is primarily about what he, by seeing what he does and who he announces himself to be. And I think that reflects kind of how you will experience all the time beyond that things that you would experience about university. Um, we're very aware that on college and university campuses right now, about 49% of the students are probably students of color. This is just demographically where the United States is right now. And InterVarsity um, across the country is about 49 to 50% students of color. And so you're going to enter a fellowship of people who look a lot like the university. Um, and I'd say that would be something that's pretty different and distinctive about InterVarsity's ministry across the country. I think the other thing that you'll find is, based on those four loves, um, a deep commitment to God's purposes in the world. So we sponsor every three years the Urbana Student Missions Conference, which draws between twelve and 20,000 college students every three years to hear about God's global mission. We're deeply committed to helping students think about how do you engage the world. Um, and I know this is a high value for you, Stan, and the people who are listening, um, but the discipleship of the mind is one of our core values. I often tell our students, if you walk away having only experienced ministry at the university, we failed you. Because in fact, while you're a university student, you have access to more technology, resources, and opportunity in these four years than the vast majority of the world will ever experience in their lifetime. The questions that we wrestle with, whether the academic questions or just what would I like to do after I graduate, Mm -hmm. are questions that nobody else in the world, or very few people in the world, have an opportunity to ask. And I think Part of what we do as a campus ministry is help students steward that student experience as well to say, or what I often tell students when I'm speaking on a campus is either you will be the best trained, best equipped, best resourced change agents for the kingdom ever assembled in history, 
or you will be the most self-indulgent, selfish generation that's ever been created. And the choice is basically in front of you today, who are you going to do this for? And will you steward this experience well? So I think those would be some of the things that you'd find in a lot of your varsity chapters. Well, and I think it's worth mentioning that you've written a, an excellent book on the life of the mind. Do you want to plug that real quick? Sure. I, I, thanks. <laughs> it's less than a book. It's probably more a book at is what I call it. It's about 64 pages, but it's called Your Mind's Mission. And mm-hmm. I was given a brief, could you write something really short that might equip a college student on how to think Christianly? And so what I try to do is offer two or three different ways that Christians have approached that question. I think about worldview, I think about the story of scripture, and then say, let's apply these in really practical ways on campus mm-hmm. so that Jesus Christ is still central in what you do, but you're engaging the university believing that all truth is God's truth, and you've given, been given a tremendous opportunity. Uh, take advantage of it and steward it well. Good. And I'll link to that in the show notes. Oh, thanks. How similar are university groups campus to campus and region to region? I know some ministries, uh, the, the groups will look very similar and others they'll look very different for a number of reasons. How does that play out in university? University groups tend to be very different around the country, in part because we're so convinced students should be leading. So in my mind, the best evangelist is going to be a student speaking to another student. Um, I want students to lead the Bible studies because I want to train them in how to lead Bible study before they graduate. And because I think there's something powerful about being led by your peers. Mm -hmm. So um, university can be quite different regionally because we start to take on the characteristics of that school, which I think is good missiology. Um, University also has created a number of focused ministries around um, fraternity and sororities, um, Asian American students, artists, athletes, um, nurses, et cetera, find ways to contextually speak the gospel into that community in a compelling way. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes what you'll find is just, you might find three or four different university ministry presences on a campus, each of which look different because they're trying to both speak to and contextualize the gospel for people, as well as to call people into a broader, diverse conversation so that we're getting critiqued by it at the same time. And so university can be quite diverse, but I think what you'll always find is what I said earlier a core commitment to studying scripture together, um, a pretty diverse community, and um, a deep love for the centrality of Jesus and his mission. Well, I really appreciate that missiology, but the, the, the challenge is always to remain faithful to the mission and distinctives when there's such a focus on the local and indigenous mm-hmm. leadership. So how do, you, how do you manage that tension? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a perpetual tension, I think, in all ministries. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of ways that we try to manage that. Um, Most university chapters have a staff worker assigned to them. So somebody that we've trained, developed, and coached. So there is a, I mean, you almost hate to say kind of religious professional on board, but there there is kind of a person who has that longer term perspective, who's um, coaching, guiding, and training the student leaders. That's a a significant part. We do require all of our student leaders to read through and affirm our doctrinal basis. And this is a requirement in our constitutions. It frequently causes problems with universities, but we've decided it's a non-negotiable that students know the core Christian beliefs and agree that they hold to them. Say more about the problems it causes. At some universities, overzealous administrators have said, you have religious limitations on who you allow to be a leader, i.e. you require your leaders to be Christians. That is discriminatory because it discriminates against those who do not share your faith who would like to become leaders. Therefore, in some cases, we've been derecognized and forced off campus. We, of course, have tried to point out 
you would think a non-discrimination policy should protect religious identities rather than penalize them. And the best way to include religious groups is to actually recognize that when when they're selecting the religious leaders, it's important that that religious leader be a adherent to that religion. So our students want Bible studies to be led by Christians. They would like to be led in worship by Christians, and they would hope that the people offering prayers in our large groups would be Christians. And so it can create controversy and difficulty on campus. By and large, we're able to negotiate those, and universities have acknowledged we would hope this would be true for any religious group. Um, occasionally, it requires a little bit more. So, Greg, you mentioned uh, the statement of faith that students and others have to subscribe to. What is that statement of faith, or where can it be found if people want to want to, to look at what university holds to be essential? Yeah, um, it's a simple recitation of core doctrines of Christian belief starts with um, the existence of God, the authority uh, and trustworthiness of scripture, who Jesus was, etc. You can find it at intervarsity.org. If you go through the about section, you'll find a section on our beliefs. And I'll link to that. Thanks. And it's a core uh, set of doctrinal beliefs. We've actually been gratified that my last count, about 50 churches have also said, could we use this Hmm. as our doctrinal basis? It's such an elegant and beautifully written summary of the Christian belief. And it's intentionally kind of um, that mere Christianity sort of, these are the minimal set of beliefs that allow us to work together in unity. So on a continuum, would you put InterVarsity more on the conservative or progressive end of the evangelical spectrum? I would say it's at the conservative end at the, in the sense that it speaks primarily to the kind of core doctrinal beliefs uh, that almost any church that follows Jesus could affirm. Okay. Um, and it does not speak to issues that tend to be in controversy among different churches. Hmm. So it's a little bit more timeless than left or right, I think. And who's required to, to, to agree to that before they're involved? Staff, student leaders, all students, others? Just staff and student leaders. And obviously volunteers, you know, our board. Sure. But on campus, just staff and student leaders. Our hope, honestly, is that our chapters are filled with people who cannot yet sign it, but one day will. At our last look at it, nearly 20 to 25% of the students who come regularly to an university meeting do not yet identify as Christians, which to us means we're succeeding. This isn't just a bubble of Christians who are gathering together to hide. Um, these are people who are saying, my relationship with Jesus is so vibrant and so alive. I hope you'd come with me and discover um, who Jesus is. And so um, when chapters have 20 to 30% of the students are seekers, who show up week after week, who volunteer at events for us. Um, I've had non-Christian students at chapters I've helped lead be at the front door of evangelistic events, welcoming people in. And if you say, why are you doing this? You aren't yet a Christian. They said, the Jesus that I'm discovering here is so compelling. I want everybody to have the experience I'm having. I'm not yet ready to say I'll follow him. But without hesitation, I can invite people into this community. Mm. To me, um, one of the ways that you know a Christian group is Christian is when they're having that kind of impact that the non-Christians around them are saying, there's a compelling vision of Jesus that I'm encountering here, and I'm willing to invite other people to come. Well, and I personally know this is a long-standing value and practice. I remember being a senior in high school, and my best friend was a year ahead of me, went off to college and came back and visited. He was not a believer. I was, and he talked about being involved in, in, in an intervarsity group, and I uh, was quite shocked because he was decidedly not a believer, but he was very much enjoying that involvement. That's awesome. And, and I think that's why the Bible study is often really our core thing is Christian or non-Christian experienced 
Christian who grew up in the faith, very new Christian, all of us come together as equals when we say, what is the word of God saying to us? And frankly, I think often the non-Christians have some of the most interesting insights into scripture because they don't have their pastor's messages rolling in their head. They're just looking at texts going, can you explain this? Right. And then the Christian students look at it and go, honestly, I never saw that. And, and then, right, then they're engaging with scripture. And so it's fantastic. Yeah, right. So who are some of the, for lack of a better word, heroes of the faith that InterVarsity might hold up to students? Oh, what a great question. I think some of our heroes of faith, honestly, they span the range because, um, because of our commitment to the discipleship of the mind and because our deep belief that Jesus Christ is Lord over all of creation, the heroes that we point out are really everybody from famous theologians and pastors. Um, historically, it have been somebody like a John Stott or a J.I. Packer. Sure type right British uh, leaders to, if I were here in Chicago, I might point out to somebody like a, a friend of mine named Bruce, who has dedicated his medical career to working in the poorest neighborhood in Chicago, helping to provide healthcare on a consistent basis. It might be a um, stay-at-home mom who faithfully has been praying for their child year after year, in spite of the fact that the child's resistant to everything about the gospel, mm. to a great faculty member like Francis Shu over at the Claremont Colleges, who writes on mathematics mm-hmm. as a tool for human flourishing. And as potentially impractical as that sounds, the ability to say he is doing a mathematics to the glory of God mm-hmm. and in the hope that it benefits God's creation and God's people. Mm-hmm. Um, so any of those could be heroes for us. I don't think we have a consistent nationally, we always talk about this person. But all of the folk that we would name, I think, have similar things in common, right? It's a deep belief that God is active in the world, that they've said yes to participating in what God has already initiated and started doing. And um, in the sphere that they're called to, whether it be the classroom I'm in, the neighborhood I belong to, or a university or country that I'm helping lead, I'm going to ask Jesus the question, what are you doing and how do I participate in that? Good. So several of the guests I've had on have offered a threefold taxonomy of what Christian students need in order to flourish, both in their, their, their faith and their intellectual life during college. Uh, one is spiritual growth or developing a deeper intimacy with God. Secondly, you've mentioned intellectual development, learning to love God with the mind. And third is ministry activism or missional engagement, being somehow involved in God's redemptive work. So would InterVarsity agree with those three, offer a fourth, maybe take one away, nuance one? How does InterVarsity see flourishing of students? Yeah, I love that taxonomy. I think I'm going to go back to our four loves because I think that's our clearest distillation, right? So um, Hmm. We hope that we're developing communities which grow in love for God and God's word. So that would be kind of the spiritual flourishing. Mm -hmm. I would say God's people of every ethnicity and culture, because I think what's missing in that taxonomy that you suggested is community. Mm. That in the end, if students come in, like I grew in my love for God individually, I grew intellectually, I found my purpose, but they aren't part of a community that's diverse and reflects the body of Christ richly. Maybe it's a little too individualistic Mm. for how we're actually formed. I think, in fact, um, our habits and our passions and beliefs are formed and reinforced by the community that we belong to. And that particularly in this generation, students often find their identity in their communities. And so being part of a diverse community matters. And 
I know for a lot of folks, they may be raising their eyebrows, like, why diverse? And maybe what I can offer, um, I'll offer a quick story, I hope. Uh, when I was coming on staff, my parents who are Christians, um, I'm Chinese American, uh, were really opposed. They were like, we sacrificed hard. We're hoping that you'll be a doctor. Um, when I decided to go to law school, they're like, why are you settling for being a lawyer? So we're that kind of honestly <laughs> um, model minority Chinese family. But when I decided to come on staff, they said um, they were pretty opposed. So I asked my spiritual community, uh, what should I do? And it was interesting. All my Asian friends said, well, you know, it's really clear what scripture says, honor your father and mother. And so you need to say no, Greg, to the call to staff until your parents bless you, you can't go. And then they tell stories about missionaries who had done that and God blessed them when the parents finally relented. And it was fascinating. My non-Asian colleagues and friends all said, you know, Greg, and they told a very different story. Uh, Jesus came up to a man and said, come follow me. And the man said, let me bury my father first. And Jesus said to them, let the dead bury their own dead. Anybody, he says in another passage, who loves their mother and father more than me is not worthy of the kingdom. And then they told stories of missionaries who were like, parents opposed me, but I went and God blessed. And I was like, what's happening here? And I realized each culture, Asian culture and Western culture took their common cultural narratives, filial piety, American individualism, leaving the family, going and heading west, and then looked for the passages in scripture that reinforced their story. And what I needed to do as a Christian was to go, both of these passages are in scripture. How do I harmonize them so that I'm doing both at the same time? Right. So I think a diverse community allows us to read scripture better. It embeds us in a reinforcing milieu that helps reinforce faith. And I think finally, um, it prepares them for the rest of the world, right? It prepares them to engage in church and other things which are so essential. And then I think active missional engagement in the world for us would be God's purposes in the world, whether it's the intellectual activities of school, whether it's engaging issues in global mission uh, around justice, other things, that's also part of it. So I think the thing I would add, maybe it took too long to do it though, was um, I would add community to that taxonomy. And then if you grow in love for God, you think well and hard so that you're engaging the university as a place of learning. You're part of a great community and finding your place in God's mission. I think then you're set up to grow. Really helpful, Craig. So here are two hard questions. Feel bad putting them to you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Sure. So uh, with all the caveats of variance, campus to campus, region to region, where do you think university's strongest in those four? And where do you think university's weakest? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say InterVarsity is strongest at helping students love God's word and God's people of every ethnicity and culture. I, we're just a, we're a pretty diverse ministry, and I think um, students will find that, and we work hard at it. Hmm. I won't presume to dis, to identify how much we've helped students grow in love for God, though I hope as they grow in love for Scripture and God's people, that's come, but. I don't know how to measure that one. I'd say, honestly, we could do better at helping students love God's purposes in the world. I would love for us to be better at discipleship of the mind and engaging the university as intellectuals, just because of what I've said before. I think it's an incredible opportunity we should steward. I think some places do that better than others, but especially since so many students are coming from non-Christian backgrounds right now, Mm -hmm. I think we're spending so much energy and time. Like, Let's introduce them to the scripture stories for the very first time that we sometimes don't get to that. And I think we do an okay job through Urbana and other things to help them engage in some of the missional issues, um, injustice, the, the need for, you know, continual global mission. But I, 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 I wish we could always do better because um, they're only here for four years unless they go to graduate school and become faculty. I wish I knew that we were really 
preparing them well sure. for that. I think we are given the alumni I've met, but my aspiration is always that we would do better there. Right. So are those areas that there's a, uh, a strategy or a program or a plan to address nationally, or is that more your read and others might have different reads on where the strengths and weaknesses are? Yeah. Um, I'd say there's, uh, there are national programs to try to address it. As I mentioned, every few years we hold an Urbana Student Missions Conference. The next one is uh, December of 2022. And our hope is we'll have 15 or 20,000 college students hearing a unapologetic call to continue to engage in global mission. And so that's one of the big things that we do. And every Urbana then propels all of our chapters that year then to be reflecting more and more on global mission. So I think investing in that, I think in terms of intellectual development, there are programs, um, including one that you founded, the uh, Emerging Scholars Network, which is a growing network of undergraduate, graduate, and faculty members who are thinking about how do we prepare folk who are intentionally thinking about a career in the academy? Um, How do we develop them, mentor them, and invest in them? So there is that. Um, And then we do have some programs that are being developed by our discipleship team that are helping ask the question around intellectual development and discipleship of the mind. And we're hoping to have more of that soon. Mm. And then I think because of this college generation, they're the most activist uh, and engaged, at least socially aware generation that I've seen since well, I wasn't in college in the 1960s, early 70s, but I certainly read about it. They're very aware, I think, because of social media and um, the culture of places of injustice. So I think we do a good job of helping them engage that from a biblical framework around justice rather than just a culturally derived one. And are trying to help them engage that in ways that honor both what we believe theologically as well as our sensitive practically to the context that they find themselves in. So I think we are working on it, but, you know, I always have high aspirations. So I wish we weren't just working on it. We already had it done. Okay. Well, I want to drill down into each of those a little bit more. Sure. And just ask at the next level, uh, some questions to help you unpack where the ministry is really serving students in those ways. So let's start with spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. So how, how does InterVarsity help students develop those lifelong habits to develop greater and greater intimacy with Christ? So it's not just, a, okay, I did this in college. That was fun. That was great. It was maybe a spiritual high, but now I'm out in the working world and, you know, it's a, it's a different reality. How, how do you really help people learn to walk intimately with Christ for the long haul? Yeah, um, I'm going to circle back to what I said before. Part of that is every chapter at its core uh, is a group of small group Bible study studying scripture together in community. And so it's the process of studying scripture in community that I think is one habit that any university student will have been exposed to and is actually the foundation of every university chapter. And I do think growing in love for God means that you encounter God as he's revealed himself in the scriptures, you listen to his voice, and then you respond with obedience. And you are a part of a community that helps you do that. And so we hope that that community um, is the kind of thing they find in a church where they're able to join a church and go, I'm being led into the study of scripture, and I've joined a community that will help me. And so I think that's one of the key disciplines. Um, Another thing you'll find in most university chapters is a daily prayer meeting. Um, Again, it's a community of people praying together, that we hope will follow them through the rest of their life. Uh, we teach a core discipleship thing is how do you have a quiet time? How do you meet with God in scripture on your own? 
So if I were to say, what are the core disciplines for us? It would be prayer, um, scripture study, and community would be kind of the distinctive things that most people say, yes, if you go to university, you're going to end up in a Bible study somehow. Like there's no way to avoid it. And so that would probably be the primary way. Obviously, there are other things that we do that I love. So the diversity of university for me meant growing up in a fairly low church, I discovered liturgy as a way of praying. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, I don't have to make up all the words. Sometimes I can use words that the church has prayed for hundreds of years and say, this, this is what I, my heart needs to say right now, Lord. Or sometimes it would not have occurred me to pray this prayer, Lord, but yes, I should be praying these things too. And then right the, or helping students pray the Psalms. Um, some of the diversity of university um, helps us um, experience different church traditions. I was, I was just speaking at the University of Illinois, and the first large group of the year, the first all-campus worship meeting, there were about 230 plus students. Um, the first set of worship songs included a song in Indonesian, in Swahili, and in Spanish, and one song in English. And part of what that chapter said is, um, we are part of a global community of Christians who follow Jesus. And so we're going to teach you songs that you may not know, you may not even enjoy, but we sing them because this is what our brothers and sisters around the world sing. And we hope that you don't just think of yourself as a Christian in isolation, but you actually begin to love the global church and all that it does. And so at any large university conference and in many of our chapters, we're doing that with students because part of the way I think of growing in love for God is seeing how God is at work globally. Mm -hmm. But prayer and scripture, and then, um, you know, students, uh, a student who's involved, um, often our staff are discipling them or an older student would be. Nine times out of 10, it'll be, let's study scripture together. Sometimes it'll be, let's read a book together. And so I remember reading everything from, um, you know, Knowing God by J.I. Packer with one student who was very theologically inclined to practical books on evangelism to, um, uh, I remember with one student, we were doing a Bible study, but equally on the side, I was saying, what were you learning in sociology today? And we were discussing Durkheim and Strauss and other folk. Mm -hmm. And so all of that could be part of discipleship. Sure. Well, and you've, you've used the term uh, discipline a number of times, and uh, I joined InterVarsity staff in 2000. I was uh, with, with you for a decade, 2000 to, to 2010, with the, with the graduate student and faculty ministry. So uh, I've never had the interaction with the undergrad ministry we're talking about here, but I, yeah. I know in, in, in the grad faculty ministry, and as you're saying, in the undergrad world too, there's a real emphasis on the spiritual disciplines, which I really appreciate. Uh, that that also relates to the idea of spiritual formation, how disciplines help in that process. Uh, I know some believers are uncomfortable with both the term spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation, but those are very common terms in intervarsity, and, uh, and I think they're good ones, but could you give a brief apologetic for those terms and concepts? Yeah. What I'd say are these, um, we call them disciplines in part because they are the habits that we're hoping to form that train us moment by moment to turn to Jesus. And so a spiritual discipline of scripture study to us is important because, uh, and it's a discipline because whether I want to or not, once a week, I sit with a group of people and say, what does the scriptures have to say to me today? And how will I say yes to Jesus by responding and obeying to it? And mm -hmm. um, so, for example, when I was a college student, I made a commitment my first year, I will go to every Bible study in my dorm. If there's a test or a paper due the next day, if I have a social invitation, I'm going to say no, because I'm always going to go to that Bible study because I was trying to develop a habit of prioritizing being with God's people and studying his word. Mm -hmm. The habit of when I'm in a situation, I'm turning to scripture, right? So 
um, that's why we use the term discipline is like a sports discipline. You practice the swing until it becomes natural, mm-hmm. um, or at least that's what people who like sports tell me happens in theory, like, or right? the, <laughs> in theory, or the discipline of practicing piano. I do, whether I want to or not, I show up so that when called in the moment to do it, my fingers do the things that they need to do. And similarly that our hearts do the right thing. Right. And I think spiritual formation, some people are curious about this, you know, it's a term that um, they've not heard or they associate with some traditions, but I think we talk about spiritual formation as um, being attentive to, there are many things that shape our souls, right? And we know that by going to church, Um, we're at church, we sing truth about who God is and our experience of him. And we don't sing other kinds of songs in that context because we're trying to allow those songs to shape our hearts and our desires. We sit and listen to a sermon so that our minds are being informed by that and not as much by cable news or social media or other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so spiritual formation is just a way of talking about, are we being attentive to all of the things that try to distort our souls and instead choose the practices and habits that shape our souls in ways that help us follow Jesus more? Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's what spiritual formation is. It's being attentive to those things. There are a lot of idols calling for our attention. Mm-hmm. And spiritual formation is one way of saying, let's be attentive to those idols and turn to Jesus. That's really well said. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Guests on the College Faith Podcast often discuss how important professors are in the lives of students during these impressionable years. Christian professors are examples to both non-Christian and Christian students that a person can be educated and still follow Christ. And they can have a lifelong influence as mentors. Please consider helping equip Christian professors to make a difference on a campus near you and worldwide. To learn more, please visit www.global-scholars.org. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this College Faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, the Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now, back to College Faith. Well, let's turn to intellectual development or loving God with a mind. So InterVarsity has, as you've said, and I've uh, been aware of also, a very long tradition of helping students in this area. Why is that? I'd answer the question two ways. I suspect why is that in terms of why InterVarsity cares, in part because, you know, our ministry is descended from the ministry that started in Cambridge and Oxford. So I think there's a little bit that we just come by naturally. Okay. I think why it's important, though, for college students to think hard and think well and to think Christianly is... One, we do believe um, that Jesus Christ created all things and in him all things continue to exist and they exist for his glory. And so part of what we're doing, I'm sure other people have quoted it on this podcast before, right? That great line from Abraham Kuyper, right? There's not one square inch, the whole of human endeavor over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not crowd. This is mine. This belongs to me. And so there is a part of, I think, being a Christian intellectual that's saying, how do I enter this field of study, sociology, psychologies? physics or English and say, what does Jesus Christ say in this place? And often I think it's what's true that scripture would affirm, what might we disagree with? And then what can we constructively make better about this theory because Christians are there? Part of what we're trying to do is train students after they're done with the university, they're still being informed. 
by their news sources, by their community. And we want for them to have the tools to say, is what I'm hearing in the media or on social media true? What does Christ have to say to this? What would he affirm? What would he confront? What could we make better? They're going to experience it in their neighborhoods as friends and family talk to them. So it's not just a vocational thing that you do while you're a student. It's actually training you to be a discerning mind so that you can engage all of the information you take in and the experience of your community or country with uh, Christian integrity. So that's why I care about it. Um, And because I do believe we can glorify God in many more ways than just singing on a Sunday. And if I can train a student to glorify God by the way that they study and how they study, then suddenly they're going to glorify God when they show up at their office or their laboratory or their classroom. You know, I was an attorney before I came on staff. I can approach this work I'm doing as an attorney to glorify God, even if I'm not doing a case that's defending Christians on the First Amendment. There's a way of doing that. And so it's a practical, immediate discipline that I think shapes a trajectory of lifelong worship. Good. As the evangelical church seems to be more and more anti-intellectual, at least according to some, yeah. is the emphasis with an intervarsity waning with this generation of students, or is it as strong as ever? It's as, I would say it's as strong as ever, but in every generation, what you find is students are applying that question to slightly different issues. Mm. And so if in the 60s and 70s, the questions were about, the, the ferment was about the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, and other things, right? Like, that's what people were asking about. And Mm -hmm. so you saw a lot of Christians asking questions about what's the role of government, what's just war theory, et cetera. Right. I'd say in this generation of students, fueled in part by the concerns that they see in the world around them, you will find they're asking the Christian mind questions around issues of sexuality, around uh, racial injustice, around... um, things like the Me Too movement. And so if you talk to Christian students, many of them, I'd say, are enormously articulate and well-read about these issues. And they're asking, what does the church have to say? Hmm. And what what does the Bible have to say about these issues? And so, you know, there are days that I, like, those are great questions. I wish you'd ask that about your sociology class or about um, what you're doing in physics. But I'd say there's enormous amount of intellectual questions that they're raising in that area And part of what I think um, Christians need to do is figure out how do we help engage those questions from and help them find the answers in scripture. So InterVarsity recently did a study of some Gen Z students. And what was fascinating, we said, what what are the discipleship questions you most want help with? What tools do you most need? 60% said, help us to study scripture, which really surprised me. This beat out relationships. It beat out sex. It beat out any other topic. The number one thing they said was study scripture. The second thing at about 50% was teach us to pray. And then the third thing that they said at about 32% was help us understand um, racial injustice. Hmm. But I love the fact that when we polled students in our fellowship, 60% said the most important thing you can help me do is study the scriptures. Yeah. Help me pray and then help me address the, the, one of the crucial um, social issues that we're facing. So I think the intellectual energy is probably there if we choose to look for it. Mm. And then part of what we have to do is say, if you want to engage those questions, then your sociology class is actually quite relevant to you, isn't it? And let's then ask those questions with a Christian mind in that place. So um, it's not expressed in the ways that it may have been 20 years ago, but I still think it's there. That makes sense. 
So are there several books in university suggests all students should read independent of where they are and uh, all the other variables? And if so, what are they? Is there sort of a reading list that students get? Um, you know, this is where we're not, we don't, we are uh, so contextualized. We don't have a national reading list um, that we probably point all students toward common books that I'm seeing students really drawn toward. One is a book called um, I Once Was Lost by Doug Schaup and Don Everett. In that book, surveyed a few thousand Christians uh, who had been non-Christians when they went to college. And they said, we find that there's a five-step way that people seem to be becoming Christians. And what I'd say is so many of our students read that and it helps them go, I I know where my friend is. And I know um, Mm -hmm. what they need right now is not an apologetics thing. They need to learn to trust Christians because they've grown up with such distrust. I mean, like it helps give them a handle. So that's been a book that students have found to be um, very useful and very helpful. Mm. There's another book by a colleague, uh, James Chung, who is our uh, vice president of strategy and innovation. He wrote a book called Real Life. And in it, he just tells a story of a chapter that's learning to study the scriptures and to be attentive to how the Holy Spirit might be leading in the moment, right? Like before you act, just take a moment and listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying. And then if you hear the Holy Spirit saying something that's consistent with scripture, do it and see what happens. And so a lot of students have said, this is a type of discipleship, which prioritizes the scripture and attentive listening to how the Holy Spirit might be leading, and then pushes me to actually put it into action rather than assuming Christian discipleship is just intellectual transformation. Um, That's been very helpful. Students, um, I think, are always excited about books on prayer. Um, one of my favorites that a lot of students used where I've been, uh, was called Daring to Draw Near by John White. And what I love about it is it's not a book like, if you want to pray, here's an acronym. Instead, he looks at 10 people who were praying in scripture, um, Abraham wrestling with God before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, or Paul in Ephesians, or Hannah weeping over being barren, and says, what could we learn about prayer by watching people pray in the scriptures? And I love that because, you know, if I have to learn to pray, then let me follow Daniel's example in Daniel 9 and say, let's model my prayer after that rather than what was the acronym again and what did that mean? And I suspect you'll always find a book on uh, some issue of sex and some issue of justice. Those are two issues that, you know, students are always help me understand those. And I suspect it varies community by community, which one they're drawn to. Good. One well, a similar question. Does InterVarsity have a set curriculum that students all go through in small groups or other contexts to, to ensure they learn certain either doctrinal or worldview or missional core views or doctrines? Yeah, um, we don't. Uh, and again, um, I think this is probably our deep commitment to the study of scripture. So what I'd say is I expect every chapter at some point over the course of a year will be like, hey, let's talk through our doctrinal basis. Here's what we believe, but mostly and that's why I said, you know, I'm not sure what book uh, we would say everybody should read. In part, it changes every three or four years. But I can't say students could not escape university without learning to study the scripture for themselves. Okay, good. Well, let's move to the third area, mm-hmm. ministry activism or missional engagement. How would you describe the way InterVarsity understands and teaches the, the relationship between Christ and culture? Uh, in other words, how, how to be involved as a Christian in culture, whether that's the university culture yeah. or later the business culture, one's neighborhoods culture, whatever context one finds oneself in. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to avoid the kind of typical Richard Niebuhr typology, even though you'll hear 
echoes of it. Tell, tell me why. I'd, I'd like to know why. I think um, improperly understood people often go, oh, you're either Christ transforming culture, Christ above culture, you know, Christ against culture. And then you find yourself only in one place. Hmm. And I think instead what you would hear in InterVarsity is something that recognize all of those may be true, but uh, maybe a more useful way to think about it would be, you know, a core text that we've often gone back to is Colossians 1, but um, Christ created everything and it was created for his glory and he continues to hold together. And simultaneously, um, he is the firstborn of the new creation and is birthing the church into the world to be a sign and symbol of his kingdom as it's coming. And so part of what I would say our approach to culture would be, we always assume that Christ is actively at work. And part of what we're called to do in every situation is ask Jesus, what are you already doing here? How are you already demonstrating your lordship, your compassion and your holiness? And how do we align and get uh, and participate with that? So um, in the same way that our purpose statement begins with in response to God's love, grace, and truth, um, we already believe Christ is at work. And so our role is to find our place in what he's doing which I hope saves us from the kind of um, frenetic activism that assumes we have to start everything. Mm. Jesus is at work, find where he's doing and participate in that. Mm. If that's true, then um, there is good and transformation that will occur in all of those places as Christ's rule and reign are increasingly made manifest through um, his people being conformed to his image and doing the things that he's called to do. And simultaneously, there'll be places that in our culture that he confronts and denounces as idolatry and evil and contrary to his righteousness and holiness. And at those places, then we're going to say, we're not just trying to be present here. We're going to confront and when necessary, withdraw from those places uh, if compromise is the only alternative. And so I hope what we are giving students is a robust belief. Jesus Christ will triumph, right? Scripture in the end is classically in drama terms, a comedy, the protagonist, God wins, And so we move about not defensively or antagonistically or fearfully, but with deep confidence, God is winning. Um, Some things he will affirm that may surprise us, other things he will condemn and we will join him in that. There'll be places that we're called to press into the world's brokenness and hurt and manifest his goodness there. And there'll be places where we say we cannot participate in that and we will need to withdraw. And so I hope that's how we're helping students think about the world, right? Um, What's good? Uh, what needs to be repudiated, repudiated, and then what's the unique contributions that Christians could make that would improve and transform? Give me one or two examples of InterVarsity students who've understood and embraced that vision and are now graduates out in the world having an influence in those redemptive ways. Oh, sure. You know, one uh, alumnus that we turn to frequently um, Uh, might be somebody like Gary Haugen, who founded um, the International Justice Mission. For those who aren't familiar with it, a ministry that um, works within the legal system of um, countries around the world to rescue those who are uh, being trafficked or in slavery. Um, You can read more about his story and the good news about injustice that he wrote. I mean, that would would be one example. Um, I think of... um, He's not an university alumnus, but a faculty member, uh, Ken Elzinga, who mm-hmm. has taught more students at the University of Virginia than any other faculty member in its history. He's been there 55 years now or something like that. He's been a guest on this podcast. Okay. I mean, Ken is, I so admire him and uh, he's a scholar, a first rate scholar. He consults with corporations. And so, right, he's 
embracing and engaging intellectually the beauty of economics. And simultaneously, he cares deeply about students. So he has a policy, um, open door office hours. He will not leave until students are done. He teaches, I think his classes, are they 500 or 1,000 students each semester? 1,000, right? 1,000. Yeah. Um, it's the most popular class on campus. To give you a sense of the impact Ken has had on students, um, he's on university's board. He said, I need to leave a day early because um, one of the young men I mentored when he was an undergraduate, before he became a Christian, then after he became a Christian, is celebrating, I think it's his 40th birthday. He invited me, his former faculty member, to join him and his family on a four-day um, experience in Las Vegas, which he said the entire thing is going to be going from magic show to magic show to magic show because his friend so delights in it. And he thought, who are the people I most want? And he said, Ken Elzing has had that kind of impact on my life. Wow. And so, you know, um, and Ken is 80 something now. And so he gamely showed up and went to the magic show after magic show <laughs> because he's prayed for students. He's loved them. Um, he's helped many come to faith. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the number of times he's been invited to participate in weddings of former students is really astounding for a faculty member. And he speaks up when he sees uh, problems at the school. So, right, he's fully engaged. He's demonstrating the beauty of what happens when Christians are there. That's great. That's so helpful to incarnate that value. Give us some ideas of what it looks like. One last question about ministry activism or engagement. And you've mentioned this a number of times. I want to drill in a little bit. As you've well noted, some of the most pressing issues students face today on campus are related to racial issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, One response has been critical race theory and related to movements like Black Lives Matter. Uh, How does Ivy approach those type of issues through a biblical lens? How, How do you train students to see biblical justice related to racial justice related to God's mission? That whole nexus of questions and issues. Yeah. I think you have to do it in three ways. I'm so glad you asked that question because I know a lot of folk are like, oh, if you're there, you're right. They just assume, oh, you're liberal. You're walking away from faith. And in fact, I think what I'd say is I hope our students are engaging these questions because they've read the scriptures. And so if you look at the scriptures carefully from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, what you see is a clear theme, both of God desiring that he be glorified in all people groups that his standards of righteousness and holiness are applied and given as a gift to all communities. You see his deep concern uh, when that isn't true, um, whether it's Abraham's shameful treatment of Hagar in the early stories of Genesis to the repeated refrain throughout the Old Testament uh, prophets of God condemning Israel, both for their idolatry, but also because the injustice that they were um, creating for the poor the needy, the widow, and the orphan in their midst. Um, It was so clear that God cared for them in his law, and that was being violated. You see the early church wrestling with the implications of its own diversity, and how will they care um, for um, culturally different groups of Jews in uh, Acts chapter 6, when the Grecian Jews are being neglected, and the Hebraic Jews are benefiting, I think not from any malice, but just I suspect from if you're in charge of food distribution, you start with the people that you know, and the people that you don't know come later at the list, and so they ran out. Right. And the early church had to go, well, what happens when one group has access to the distribution of food and they're forgetting people? Well, interestingly, right, the early church said, let's put the people who are forgotten in charge of the distribution of food. I think we can take care of this. And they did. Um, so, and then you see God reiterate those concerns again in Revelation in really consistent ways. So part of what we're trying to do is provide that frame 
so that their motivation isn't just this is trendy or this is what the culture wants, but what's the Bible's concerns about these issues? And then what are the Bible's restraints on that? So, you know, a lot of people are critical about some of these justice movements because uh, they adopt perspectives on human sexuality. They're very anti-biblical. And so InterVarsity has been very clear. We hold a traditional historic stance on human sexuality, both around um, same-sex attraction issues, but around um, pornography and adultery and divorce marriage. Like, so there's a comprehensive vision of that. So part of what you do is then you anchor. There are parts of scripture that will not conform to the cultural desire. And we're going to hold those two. Um, we're going to hold to um, Jesus centrality. If in that kind of mix of justice movements, um, people are like, I'm not sure I can affirm uh, or every religion is equal. And we'd say, no, 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 no. We might participate in this concern, but we affirm Jesus exclusivity. And we're going to hold these beliefs that you find objectionable. So part of that is what we do um, is a theological grounding. I think practically we're always asking uh, students to think through is then how do you apply that? So um, where do you find common cause with people who you might disagree with in part? And so that you explain your differences clearly, but then work together. Um, Francis Schaeffer used to talk about uh, co-belligerence where you might not agree with everything, but you might work together on some narrow bands of things to accomplish other goods. I think the other thing that we're very keenly aware of as we talk about these things in InterVarsity is, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, 49 to 52% of all college students right now are actually people of color. And so we, in part, ask this question knowing that the majority of students actually on campus right now are students of color, and these are the pastoral questions that they're raising about the validity of the gospel today. And so if you talk to Black, Latino, Asian, Native um, students, many students from overseas, uh, what they will ask is, if America has a strong tradition of Christian presence and the church has been historically strong, how is it that these injustices have continued for hundreds of years? And these aren't academic questions. These are questions that have deeply affect their communities. And so for many of our students, what they say is, um, these are not abstract questions for me. These are questions that my brother in Christ is asking in the middle of a Bible study. How will I respond? Uh, or the way I've, I've posed it to some pastors is, you know, to use the question of, for example, immigration reform. I remember talking to a group of pastors about these. They were saying, what issues are students asking? I said, you know, this is one of them. You could watch everybody stiffen up. And I said, I know it sounds super political, right? And they all nodded. And I said, if it, you had in your congregation 10 to 15 Latino families, and every one of the kids in those families say, my biggest worry when I go to school every day is will my mom and dad be home or will they be detained and deported while I'm coming home from school? Is that just a political question to you? Or is that actually also a deeply pastoral question of how I will serve my community? And I, and I said to that group of pastors, the line between pastoral and political is often the line between who is in my congregation right now, whose needs I see and whose needs I am um, able, for whatever reason, not to actually see as my pastoral responsibility. So if you're on a campus, which is 52% students of color, and your, your ministry looks like that, suddenly it's not a political question. We're trying to engage a very pastoral and maybe prophetic question in order to care for the mission field that we're at. And I think maybe the last thing I'll say is missionaries overseas know this instinctively, and we, we fully embrace that. There should be Wycliffe Bible translators. Um, I just spoke at an event for them. I deeply am committed to scripture translation for obvious reasons. And I'm so grateful World Vision and Compassion still exist. 
I want people to um, receive the bread of life and have enough bread to live. And so I'd say the bifurcation that we often experience here in the United States, we've already um, affirmed when you're on a mission field, of course you want to do evangelism. And it'd be great if they didn't starve to death before you managed to share the gospel with them. Similarly, in the United States, I'm committed to getting students to encounter Jesus in the scripture. And I want to make sure um, that the tangible life they find themselves in more fully reflects God's righteousness, God's goodness, God's mercy, and God's holiness on a wide variety of issues. And if we can help students think like that, then I think um, they're, they will engage uh, justice and activism issues from a thoroughly biblical framework resistant to the slippery slope that that can sometimes be, and still testifying to the fact that God cares about the student right next to them and hopefully the community that they belong to in deeply practical ways so that his goodness and righteousness are reflected, not just in their spiritual life, but in the communities they live in. Well, I appreciate that deeper dive on on, on yours and uh, presumably, presumably InterVarsity's view on it. You know, as is always the case, Deeper dives raise more questions. Sure. <laughs> so you actually raised two questions I've got to ask yeah. that uh, I think listeners might be asking too, and uh, love to have your thoughts on these. So, some would make a distinction between biblical justice and social justice, and I've written some on this myself. Is that a distinction Ivy would make, or is what you're saying uh, more saying that's a false distinction that we ought to get away from? I want to answer that in two ways, right? Um, if you're looking at a historical thing, then I think talking about social justice as a concept, that's fine. In the end, to me, the question is, to what spheres of life does scripture speak, and how is God's righteousness and mercy fully reflected in those spheres for all people? So for me, it's, it's um, a commitment to biblical justice, maybe defined that way, right? God's righteousness fully and love fully expressed for all people in all communities. There are places where I think our culture's definition of justice will differ from that. And those are places where we'd say, you may call that justice, but if justice just is defined by God's just reign, then I don't agree that that's a justice issue. Um, that may be a cultural issue, but it's not a justice issue because I'm going to define justice by what is scripture calling us to. Okay. Uh, the other questions related would InterVarsity endorse the view that seeking justice mm -hmm. is part of the gospel or more the view, and there's a debate here, so I'm wanting to see where InterVarsity might be, or more the view that seeking justice is not part of the gospel per se, but a, a, an important implication of the gospel? You know, I would say, I mean, one way, honestly, one way I answer that question, Stan, would be um, if you look at the gospel of Mark where it says, uh, the first line is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of that first section, it says, Jesus came uh, proclaiming the gospel, which was repent and believe the good news, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. And so I absolutely believe that the gospel is about God's intervention in the world, which results in both the individual salvation of people. But as the kingdom of God arrives, a necessary part of that is expressing his reign and rule. It's uh, engaging the broken creation and um, reasserting God's reign and rule in those places. So I think you can distinguish the two if you want. And there are occasional times where it's really helpful to do that. But I also think at times um, trying to distinguish between like, is, is it part of the gospel or is it a necessary concomitant of it is a little bit like asking at the flip side, is intimacy with God 
core to the gospel or is it just a necessary outcome of being saved? You know, most of us would go, I don't know how you unbundle the two because the two happen simultaneously. Um, my, my conviction in reading scripture is not that God saves us just to avoid a Christless eternity. He saves us to, to join his new community, which has a very clear mission to proclaim who Jesus is in word and deed, both the evangel and to demonstrate God's kingdom uh, reality. And so I think um, maybe it's less, you know, is that part of the gospel or not? But um, what are you being saved to, not just saved from? And I think what you're being saved to is participation in what God is doing in the world. You're joining his mission, and his mission is both to redeem souls and to renew and to demonstrate his kingdom rule. Well, you've added a fourth leg to this allegorical stool, so I'm just going to give you a free-for-all. Say a little more, if you'd like to, about community and how InterVarsity presses into that in the process of helping students flourish. Yeah, I think university cares about community because it's very clear from the very beginning of scripture that God is calling a community into being that will acknowledge who he is and demonstrate his righteousness and his mercy, his good news to the world, right? It begins with the people of Israel who should be a light to the nations and eventually becomes the church. And so part of our understanding and commitment to community as a core part of Christian discipleship is Again, you're not being saved into an isolated experience with Jesus, but you're actually being saved into this glorious community of the saints. And so theologically, we want to help students understand that and experience that. Pragmatically, it's so essential because, in fact, your spiritual life is worked out in the context of the relationships you're in. So if you're a person of deep prayer and deep ability to exposit scripture, but you're perpetually angry at people or harsh with people, then I think there's a fair question asked, which God are you worshiping? And do you understand the scriptures that you are reading? Mm -hmm. If I cannot both ask for forgiveness and offer forgiveness, have I taken Christ's word seriously enough? And can I pray the Lord's prayer with any integrity? And so all of those are worked out in community. And I think that's why the epistles exist, right? It's Paul going, I know you say you believe, but <laughs> you're having a problem working this out practically. Let me help you. Whether it's the more practical epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, or it's Romans, which is really wrestling with the question, do Gentiles have to become Jews first? Right. And all of that theological um, work that Paul is doing is designed to say, no, you are one community together and you owe one another allegiance and compassion, forgiveness and accountability. So part of what we're trying to help students um, is grapple with that. Part of what we're trying to help students do when we talk about grappling with diverse community is to make help them, as I shared in my own story of coming on staff, that the communities that they uh, naturally fall into don't overly shape the ways that they study and understand scripture, but they're hearing the diverse voices of God's community going, oh, did you, did, did you skip that part? Um, you don't seem to have noticed that. I think the last part of, about community is I think it prepares students long-term to engage in the church. Mm. The reality is if you're in community, you confront the disappointment of other Christians on a regular basis, and you're confronted with your own, you know, failures. But sure. I am so grateful that I showed up at a Bible study every week with people, some of whom I really enjoyed and some of whom were like, can grit my teeth? They're here again. But I had to acknowledge this is my brother in Christ. This is my sister in Christ. And Jesus loves them and has died for them and has called me to be in community with them. 
And so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to listen to them and their um, observations into scripture and take them to heart and submit myself to this community and what God is saying through them, which really has been so important as I've joined and been part of churches ever since I graduated from college, where I walk in on a Sunday and there's some people who bring me delight and some people who set my teeth on edge. And I say, these are the, this is the body of Christ. And I am going to embrace them, some uh, naturally and some by, I hope, a move of the Holy Spirit, uh, because I think Jesus is pleased that, you know, as Revelation 7 points out, every tribe, nation, language, and tongue, and presumably every personality type, interest type, etc., are going to be gathered before his throne. And if I'm going to spend eternity with them, um, I should practice now <laughs> what it takes to do so in a way that honors Jesus. Good. Well, as we draw to a close, would you just summarize very briefly why students should consider investigating and joining an university chapter when they show up on campus? I would love for students to join an university chapter. More than that, I just want a Christian college to join some Christian fellowship. Join some fellowship that challenges you to grow in that typology we've been talking about. As somebody who loves God, engages in his word, engages the uh, academic pursuit, engages in community, and prepares you for mission in the world, right? Whether it's university, crew, navs, a church fellowship, join something because you cannot make it alone. Inevitably, in my 25 years on campus, the Christians who've decided to go it alone um, have not survived as people of faith. Mm-hmm. We were not designed to be alone. That Genesis 1 is very clear about that. Um, we have been called into community, even if it's there just to serve it. Um, go, and I think you'll receive. For university, I mean, obviously, I've been with university several decades now. Mm-hmm. If you choose to join university, what I think you'll discover is a community committed to studying the scriptures together, a community that um, is intentional about being a community together, not necessarily that it's all fun and warmth, but we're going to be a fellowship together across our differences. Um, and one that's deeply concerned about equipping you uh, to engage the world around you, whether it's your studies now or the world that you're going to enter in after college. We'd be delighted to welcome you, but I would be dishonest if I said, in the end, I care less about you joining university than I care about you joining some fellowship because I want you to thrive as a college student who's following Jesus. Good. Appreciate it. And is there anything else you'd want to make sure we touch on? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I've already rambled long, so I could hold <laughs> forth on any number of other things, but I don't think there's a, a core thing that I, I would. Okay. I wish I had more examples of women in my heroes section. I think I just defaulted to two fast people. But Jay Civitz was one for me during my years. Uh, yeah. I knew Jay as my, when I was a student back in Chicago. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Greg, as we, as we wrap up here, where can listeners go to learn more? You can learn more about InterVarsity on our website at intervarsity.org. If you want to just find, is there a campus fellowship on the campus I'm at? I would encourage uh, listeners to go to everycampus.com, everycampus.com, and um, about 74 different ministries, a lot of campus ministries, um, denominations have gotten together and said, we will share all the information we have about where there's a campus fellowship of any sort. Great. And so you can look up that campus and see a list of any gospel witnessing community that we know of there. And so Mm. please, by all means, check out intervarsity.org. But if you would like a sense of what's on the campus that you might go to or are already at everycampus.com or everycampus.org, we'll have that data. 
Oh, fantastic. And that'll be in the, sh- in the show notes too. So people can find that easily. Great. Well, Greg, thanks so much for your time, for your ministry. Really appreciate this conversation. I think it's been really helpful to get a little bit of a insider's look at university. And I learned things, even though I'd been uh, with the ministry for uh, a decade, but uh, you've got a lot of wisdom and obviously background and experience. And I appreciate you sharing it with, with me and our listeners today. Thanks for the opportunity. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash college faith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.